You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Man, isn't that amazing? Can we just put our hands together in celebration for what God is doing through Kainos? It's so cool to see. And yet there's still so much more to be seen. Star said this already, but let me introduce myself to you. My name is Kylan Perry. I am the minister to the young singles here at Houston's First, and I'm also the venue pastor to a young, uh, a young singles worship gathering here in Houston, Texas called Metro. And I've been here for three years, and it has been a joy. And I just thought, as I have the chance here to stand before our church, I wanted to encourage you. Like, you should know this. The future of our church is so bright. God is doing an amazing thing in the lives of young adults here at Houston's First. He's doing something amazing in them and through them. And it's all because the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you should be super encouraged because God is on the move. You should also know that I'm not just the minister to the young singles here at Houston's First, but I'm also husband to a uh, to a woman named Brooke Perry. We have a picture of her here. This should also be an encouragement to you because it is, it is a testament to the fact that God still works miracles, people. Uh, I have no business standing next to someone that looks like that, that is as smart as she is, and yet God is good. My wife is amazing. She is such a gift from God to me, and it's been a joy to be here in Houston with her doing the work of the Lord uh, by way of being a part of this church. And it's not just an honor to be her husband. It's also an honor to stand here before you today. I love Houston's First, and I love our pastor. We have an amazing pastor in Pastor Greg. I get to visit with ministers all over the state and the nation. And as I've done so, no one has ever said a bad word about that guy. Like he set an example that so many people are following after, myself included. And so as I stand here today, I do not take this lightly. Like to fill his station for one Sunday is so meaningful and I'm grateful to get to open the word of God. It's taught faithfully every week here and I want to teach it faithfully to you today. So as I was preparing for this Sunday, I knew that we'd be coming out of Thanksgiving, which meant that for many of us, we are all the way in on the holiday spirit. Some of you were already there before Thanksgiving happened. You were already playing Christmas music and running fires in your homes when it was 75 degrees outside still. And yet now we all have the the right to be fully engaged with the holiday spirit. You can see the weather is cooling off outside. Praise God. Can I get an amen? That's a good thing. You can also see that, that lights are going up and gifts are being bought and things are being wrapped and Parties are being planned and families are being frustratingly coordinated for the holiday season. Like everything is coming into new perspective, not just for the believers, uh, people that follow Jesus, but for the world, like the whole world's mentality shifts, at least some whenever the holidays come around, regardless of your background or your history or your religion or uh, where you live, everyone, everyone shifts to some degree. But this is especially true for those that follow Jesus. This is true for Christians. And as I was thinking about this, knowing that this is a season where our awareness is increasing, I had this thought, something that makes this season more significant for those of us that follow Christ. And it's this, the holidays are not just a reason to be festive. They are a reminder to be faithful. They're a reminder to be faithful, to buy into the reality that everything we do here 
teach the word of God and sing worship together and gather together in life Bible study classes and, and, and confess our sin and meet in each other's homes and serve our city. All of these things that we do, they're not just based on ideas. They're based on cold, hard fact, truth, reality, that God is in fact who he says he is. And he's made himself known through the person of Jesus. And that changes everything about us that absolutely flips our world upside down. How so? It causes us to live with faith. It causes us to live with faith. We shouldn't just feel that in the holiday season. We should feel that in each and every season. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about what faith is. And in order for us to do it, we do need to get into our Bible. So if you have a scripture with you, you can open up with me to Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a scripture, you can grab one out of the seat back in front of you, or we'll have the screens, uh, we'll have the words up on the screen. But here's what you need to know about Hebrews 11 as you turn there with me right now. Hebrews chapter 11 is the, it is the faith chapter in the Bible. It is arguably the only place where we see a definition of faith. And it's also a chapter littered with demonstrations of faith. The first two verses define faith for us. And then verses three through 40, it's all about how faith works itself out in real life. And so as we come to it, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that if we don't properly define faith, we will mistakenly apply faith. That's what the author is getting at here. That's why he starts with faith, a definition of it there in the first two verses. And that's why we're going to start here together today. So here it is, Hebrews chapter 11. We're just going to read two verses. So bear with me. It says this, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. It's the proof of what is not seen. For by it, our ancestors won God's approval. Some versions say they were approved. So if you went around and you asked people the question, what is faith? The same question we're trying to answer today. If you went out there into the public and you said, hey, what is faith? You'd get a variety of different answers. But what you would see is that most people would commonly answer the question that faith is one's understanding, their religious conception of spiritual realities. That's what you would hear. You would hear people say, well, this is, this is my understanding of, of spirituality, the supernatural, God. That's what you would find people say, which is interesting because if you go out and we ask people, uh, hey, uh, can you tell me your faith background? What are we really asking? What are we really asking when we say, hey, what do you believe in? We're asking them to respond with an answer that, that tells us what they think about God. That's not inherently wrong. Faith is one's conception of spiritual realities. But it's so much more, which is what the author in Hebrews is trying to get at. You see, as we get into Hebrews chapter 11, the author says that faith is the reality of what is hoped for. It's an interesting word. It's a Greek word, Greek word that's called Upostasis. And the idea there is, is it means to literally stand underneath something, like a binding contract, a, con a contractual agreement. So if you own a car, you have the title to that vehicle, which means you own 
that vehicle. You stand under an agreement that entitles you to all the benefits and all the promises that come with owning that car, namely quick and easy transportation around the giant metropolis that is Houston, Texas, unless it's rush hour, then you're going to be stuck out there for a little by a little while and it won't be quick and easy. But you have this promise, this guarantee that because I own this, I don't think it's mine. I know it's mine. Like I don't just think the car is something I possess. I know it is something I possess because I have a title to it. I have an agreement for it. I have confidence that this, in fact, does belong to me. So it is with faith. So it is with faith. That that's what it's saying. That, that we have a faith that is rooted in a reality. Like we believe, not by way of just some conceptual understanding. I think these things are true. We believe by a convicted understanding. We know these things are true. Like it's not that we follow subjective thoughts or feelings about who God is. We follow an objective encounter that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that salvation moment is a moment where you experientially come to know God, which means he is real. He's not just an idea. He's living and he's present. This is what we know. We know that faith is not just a mentality we adopt. It's a reality we experience, our first point. It's not just a mentality we adopt. We don't just think the right things. It's a reality we experience. We live according to what we know. So when I started dating my wife, we've been married for six years but we've been dating for nine years. When we first started dating, I knew what it looked like to be a good guy, a guy worthy of dating. I'd grown up uh, in a Christian family, and so I know what it looked like to look the part and to uh, make sure that I didn't just cross myself off the list immediately, that I could, I could give the right vision and, and speak the right intentions. I knew that I should be really clear in my conversation with her. That way she never had any questions about where she stood with me. I knew that I should show up on time and not be late because that communicates that I don't value her or her time the way that I should. I knew that it meant I should, I should send her sweet notes and give her a phone call every now and then. That way she knew I actually cared about her. I knew what I should do and I had all the right intentions to do them. But if you ask my wife, how was Kylan's leadership whenever y'all started dating? I wouldn't have straight A's on my report card. Uh, because while I knew the things I should do, I didn't always do them. Though I was full of the right intentions, I didn't always have the proper actions to back them up. This is what, this is what it looks like to walk by faith. We don't just walk with the right intentions. We walk with the right corresponding actions. You see, my fear for many of us, and I've been there too, is that we have the right mentality about God, but we have the wrong reality. Like we understand who he is and, and we have ascended to, to high spiritual intellectualism, and yet it hasn't sunk down deep and affected our lives the way that we know it should. 
And so as I put this in front of you, I'm putting this back in front of myself, that God wants more for us. He wants more for us just than, than to just think the right things. He wants us to live the right way. You see, we can know all the right things to do, but true faith takes action to actually do them. Friends, it is impossible to be a faith-filled believer without faith-filled behavior. It's impossible to be a faith-filled believer without faith-filled behavior. And let me just be really clear what I'm saying here. This is not talking about a works-based salvation. I'm not saying that it's impossible to be a believer without behavior. Like it's impossible to become a believer without behavior. No, this is for those that are in the faith, that have been saved, been given the gift of faith by God, saved by his grace through faith and faith alone. Your, be, your belief should precede your behavior, but your belief should also produce godly behavior. You tracking with that? Does that make sense? We know that that's true. Like as you look throughout the Bible, this isn't just something I think, this is something that's clear. If you read along through the rest of Hebrews 11, which we don't have time to do today, it's a long chapter, the longest chapter on faith in the scriptures. But if you read all the way through it, the rest of the chapter after verse two, three through 40, is all about what faith looks like. And if you go and you read the gospels, you see that Jesus, whenever people approach him, whenever they come to him, he never asks them, asks them the question, what is your faith? Hey, what do you think of me? That's never what he asks. He always asks them, where is your faith? The implication there being that, that faith is observable. It's not just intellectual. It's experiential. It reaches out. It touches the world. It affects your very own life. Don't believe me? Then look at this. Mark 2, 3 through 5. They came to him bringing a paralytic, carried by four of them. Group of friends bringing a paralytic to Jesus. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, it's packed in there. They removed the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered him, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was laying. So let me just give you a picture of this. Uh, these guys show up, want to see Jesus. Jesus is teaching the scriptures. They can't get in. There's no room for them. And so they decide to go up onto the, sea, uh, onto the roof of this house. But do you think they brought shovels? No, there's no way they prepared for that. And so what do they do? They are so full of faith that they start digging, clawing their way through this roof. And then it says this, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Their faith was observable. Here's another one, Matthew 8, 10. Hearing this, this is in response to the centurion's reply to Jesus that he need not come and heal his servant. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed. And he said to those following, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. Like Jesus was willing to go help this guy. But this guy was like, you don't need to. You don't even need to come because I know who you are and you can heal him but with, with, but, with but a word. Mark 5, 32 through 34. But he was looking around, Jesus looking around to see who had done this. There was a woman that had suffered from 15 years of a, of a bleeding discharge and she came to Jesus and she reached to the crowd and grabbed the hem of his garment. And as she did, he looks around because he perceived that power had gone out from him. 
So he wanted to find who did this. The woman with the flow of blood, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, that she had been healed, she came and fell down before him, and she told him the whole truth. And look at Jesus' response. He says, daughter, your faith, the fact that you did all of this, it has saved you. It's healed you. Church, these people did not engage the world by what they saw. They engaged the world by what should be seen. Let me say that again. They did not engage the world by what they saw. They engaged the world by how it should be seen. Their lives, they were not dictated by the circumstances of their world. Like this woman, she suffered from a a flow of blood for 15 years that was beyond cure. There was a lame man who likely was lame from birth that could not get up and walk without Jesus. There was another one, the centurion servant, who was sick, overcome with disease to the point that he could not fix himself. And yet, despite such overwhelming circumstances, they navigated the world. Their lives were not dictated by the circumstances they saw, the circumstances of this world, but by the evidences of another world. This is what faith looks like. Colossians 1.16 wants us to know, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible, what you can see, and the invisible, what you cannot see, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle, catch this, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against what we see and know. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Okay, let me just level with you. According to the Christian worldview, the natural world is a supernatural world. And I know that that's not a really popular idea because it leaves us uncomfortable. But if you follow Jesus Christ, if you've received the gift of faith from God, you are believing, you've staked your life on an unseen God who has made himself seen, who has sent his only son, transcendent to become imminent to the earth, that we might see him and follow, that we might engage the world both visible and invisible, that things, they, they are as they seem, but they're actually so much bigger than that. That's what all of the scripture is put in front of you for. And so our lives should apply to it as well. You see, the way that we're meant to engage the world, see things in reality, is the way that my nieces and nephews engaged the world and saw reality over Thanksgiving. Friday, we're with my family doing the holiday thing like we all did. And, and what we found is that my nieces and nephews, they were constantly wearing these virtual reality headsets. Like they had put these things on and we're in the middle of the living room. Like we're just trying to watch the game and, and, and they're, they're tripping over us and, and they're trying to conquer some castle in a foreign land and engage with an alternative reality that I can't see. I have no idea what they're experiencing. And yet here's what's amazing. They didn't just see it. They interacted with it. They engaged with it. You see, their experience was one where both realities collided together, intermingled. And this happens all throughout the Bible. Like, the burning bush, like that's a moment where the supernatural, it pops into the natural. 
God's presence over the tabernacle. Like that's the majesty of God come onto our earth. These are things where we see where we see two realities come together in one. And Jesus is the greatest personification of that. The Son of God become like you and me. You see, where my nieces and nephews saw by way of virtual reality headsets, we're supposed to see by faith. That's your headset. That's the lens through which you look at. It's your reality. You see, their experience of two different realities at the same time is meant to be like our experience, where we engage, where we engage two different realities at the same time. And as we keep going, it says that now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, and it's the proof of what is not seen. For by this, our ancestors were approved. Our ancestors were approved, or they won approval from God, is what the CSB says. The Greek here is communicating, communicating the idea that their faith was one that God witnessed, testified to. That's what the word means. That he saw it, and he not only was like, hey, like, good job, man. Like, he commended it. He approved of it. Our faith should be the same. Our faith should be one that demonstrates, it's in a, demonstrates we genuinely believe who God is and we live in a way that verifies that he actually is. He is real. He is true. This is how we should engage the world. That's what Paul means in Romans 10 verse 17. He says, so faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. So how do you live by faith? According to Paul, how do you live by faith? You orient your life around the person of Jesus, around the words of Jesus, around the message of the gospel. You come to grips with the fact that things are as God has said right here, that the world is broken. It is fallen. We are all in desperate need of a savior. We can't save ourselves. We've all like sheep gone astray. And yet God, rich in mercy and love, he sent his only son for us. That's how we're supposed to engage the world. We're supposed to orbit our life around Jesus. He's the center of it all. And that as we see Jesus rightly, we see everything else rightly as a result. And as we see everything else rightly, it changes the way we live. We begin to live rightly too. We start to do things that the world would look at and be like, that's crazy. That's uncommon. What are you doing? That doesn't make any sense. Our faith is one that is rooted in amazing truth. We should do things that are unexpected. Things that are kind of crazy because our God did something so unexpected in that he came for us when we didn't deserve him. This is what it means to move by faith. You see, what we need to know is that the outcome of your faith depends on the object of your faith. The outcome of your faith depends on the object of your faith. Or just to put it in a really simple way, what you see is what you get. Like if you see Jesus, then you're going to get a faith that is informed by Jesus. But if you see your circumstances, you're going to get a faith that's informed by your circumstances. So let me illustrate it by way of a scripture. There's a scripture in 2 Kings where we see Elisha and his servant encircled by the armies of the king of Syria. Things look really bad in this passage. And it says this, when the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. 
Uh-oh. So he asked Elisha, oh, my master, what are we to do? Look at Elisha's response. He said, don't be afraid. For those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Hold on, Elisha. I'm just, I'll check attendance one more time. There's, there's you and there's me. What do you mean that those who are with us outnumber those who are against us? That doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about, Elisha? And then Elisha prayed the Lord, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What you see is what you get. What did Elisha's servant see at first? Saw his circumstances, and his circumstances led to fear. But what did Elisha see? He saw the Lord. And because he saw the Lord, he was not, his life was not dictated by fear. It was dictated by faith. Why does this matter? For this reason. For the world, seeing is believing. But for the Christian, believing is seeing. For the world, seeing is believing. But for the Christian, believing is seeing. We should walk by faith and not by sight, as the Apostle Paul says. Now, I do want to do a little work on this point because there are some common misconceptions that come with this idea. That believing is seeing. There are some common mistakes, some myths that come with it that we need to be aware of. We need to be cautious for. And so the first myth that is commonly accepted around this idea is what many proponents of the prosperity gospel have adopted. That if you believe it, God will give it. Is that true? No, that is not true. It may be sometimes, like sometimes God will hear your prayers and give to you what you're asking. But other times he may hear your prayers and say, no, I have something better instead. God always knows what's for our best. Namely, that he is what we need more than anything else. That's what Psalm 37.4 says. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We don't follow Jesus to get whatever we want. We follow Jesus to get what Jesus wants, his father's glory. And the amazing thing is, according to this Psalm, as God gets glory, we get joy. We get delight. Doesn't that sound amazing? Believing is seeing. The second common myth is that people often believe the Christian faith is an uninformed faith. That belief in Jesus is just wishful thinking. Like it's not a faith of fact. It's blind belief. That man, these people, they, they need to believe in something that's big and powerful and securing because life is unpredictable and out of control and eternity is really scary. Is that what this is saying? No. No, we, we don't believe to see something we, we wish is true. We believe what we have seen. That's why Jesus appeared to over 500 people when he resurrected from the dead. Like he was, he, he rose from the grave. He walked out of the tomb and he appeared before 500 people to testify to the fact by an eyewitness account. I am who I say I am. I am the son of God. And you can believe me that I'm not just a good teacher. I'm a rescuer whom the world is in desperate need of. 
it's kind of like the discovery of New Zealand. New Zealand is on the bucket list for my wife and I. We really want to go one day. I've had friends that have gone. They've said it's amazing. And so I was doing some research on the history of New Zealand. And here's what you need to know. For centuries, the islands of New Zealand were totally unsettled. Nobody had populated the area until a group of Polynesian voyagers decided to sail roughly a thousand miles across the Pacific and build homes there, establish life there. And they did it in outrigger canoes. They sailed across the Pacific Ocean the un- into the unseen, the unpredictable, the uncontrolled world in canoes. Why would they do that? That feels absolutely insane. I don't understand. Well, if you go and you read, what you see is they saw on the horizon a long white cloud. And as they studied that cloud, they realized that cloud never moved. It never changed position. It always remained in one fixed place. And what they knew is that when a, when a white cloud will remain over a a designated area for a consistent period of time, it's indicative that land is there. So they didn't sail out blindly hoping they'd find something. They sailed out with good reason that there was something to find. This is what the Christian faith looks like. We have good reason to set out into the unseen, to take risks, to be brave, to exercise boldness because... Because we have reason to believe Jesus, he's real. Theologically, historically, psychologically, experientially, there's so much testament to the fact that he is the son of God. He did come to our world and because it, everything has changed. We have a reason to follow him. And so if you're here today and you have questions about all of this, about the Christian faith, Let me just encourage you with this. Your questions, that's not a sign of a weak faith. That's the sign of a seeking faith. That's the sign of a faith that wants to figure it out, wants to find out answers. That's a good thing. And we'd love to help you process those. William Barclay said this, if a man fights his way through his doubts to the conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord, he has attained to a certainty that the man who unthinkingly accepts these things can never reach. It's good for you to explore your doubts. It's good for you to answer your questions. To put it even more simply, Frederick Buechner said this, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. Your doubts, they can be good. They can spur you on to know the Lord more. Friends, if we want to live by faith, we have to be willing to do two things. One thing which so many of us have done, we've thought the right things about God. We've set our eyes on Jesus. But many of us should be encouraged to not only set our eyes in finding Jesus, but step our our feet in following Jesus. We must be willing to go where he is, do whatever he's asking, respond to whatever conviction he gives. Is he going to give you everything you want? As you step out there and you go for it, is it always going to work out pleasantly? No, it's not. But what we can know is that he works all things together for good. He has your best interest at heart. He may not give you what you want. He will give you what you need.
And so that gives you all the reason to not move through life with a timid or a tyrannized faith, but a faith that, that says, my God is good and I'll go where he's going. I will move because he's moved for me. Third and final point, God provides the power and your faith provides the potential. That's what I want you to get today. I want you to know God provides the power and your faith provides the potential. The question is, will you bring to God your faith? Whatever amount of faith you have, will you bring it to him? Will you offer it up to him? Like, will you pray prayers that are big enough for only God to answer? Prayers that, that God hears and says, no one else by no other power can accomplish that. But I can, I'll do it. I can do the inexplicable. That way when it happens, if it happens, the world will know there must be a God. Are you praying prayers so big that only God can answer them? Will you live with the kind of courage that never underestimates him, that never underestimates God? I, I think we're going to get to heaven and, and God will look at us and never say, man, you expected too much of me there. He's never going to look at you and be like, ah, you just overestimated me on that one. No, he wants you to test his borders because he has none. He wants you to push him to the limit because he is limitless. And then will you take risks and trust his promises when things are hard, when every ounce of you wants to get out of that situation, away from those people, out of that job, uh, disengaged from that conflict, will instead you trust the Lord and know that those who set their minds in perfect peace will be taken care of by him? Will you believe that in him is the fullness of joy? And so I don't have to compromise and try to find fleeting pleasures or satisfactions in other things, in materialism or what people think of me or ascending into new heights of power or finding that relationship or whatever it is. Like I don't have to find satisfaction in all manner of other things because God, your promise says that in you, is the fullness of joy. And I'm going to hold you accountable to that. That's what faith does. God provides the power, the, the power, but your faith provides the potential. And listen, God will still move whenever we're faithless. He will. Like his movement in your life does not depend on your faith. But I genuinely believe we would see more of God move if we were willing to bring to him whatever faith we have to offer. When Brooke and I moved from College Station, Texas, working at a ministry, I loved, adored it. It was impactful to me personally and then, and then a joy to get to serve on ministerially. Whenever we made the move from that place here to Houston, I'll be honest with you, this city was hard. Year one, snowpocalypse, and flooding. It was like, gosh, this city, it can't make up its mind when it comes to natural disasters. Like, I, it's crazy. And yet we made the move in faith because we knew, God, you're leading us someplace that, that honestly, it doesn't make a ton of sense to us. Like, it, it's hard. We don't know anyone there. We, we don't know where we're supposed to live, buy a home. I, I don't know anything about this church, apart from, the past, apart, from the, uh, apart from the fact that the pastor is great. I didn't grow up Baptist, so I don't know, Lord, like some of these LBS. I don't know what that is. Like, God, this feels crazy to me. And yet what we found is we came here to Houston, and we took a big step of faith, is that we put ourselves in a position where we needed God to move. 
and he did. He moved in a way where his power was clear. And people's lives have been forever different, mine included. This is what it looks like to move in faith. It's to say, God, I want all of you, so here's all of me. Have all of me, God. Take it and do with it what you will. So where do you need God's power in your life today? Where do you need it? Is it over an addiction, a disease, some brokenness you have in your family? Is it an obsession that you can't seem to let go of? Is it in your marriage? Things are harder than they should be. So hard, in fact, you wouldn't dare admit it, admit it to other people, but you know things are not okay. Is it in your loneliness that you haven't found that person or you've lost that person? Or is it for something just for yourself specifically? Like, is it that you need forgiveness? You feel too far gone? Is it you feel so dirty and you're not sure you could ever be cleaned up? Is it because you, you know, man, my greatest need today is I need salvation. I know I can't clean myself up. I know I can't make myself good enough. I know I can't save me. And so I need God to meet me there. Here's what you should know, church. God has met us there. Before any can respond in faith, we must all receive the gift of faith which is given freely to the person of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, he had the right mentality about God. But he had more than that. He had a right reality of God. And he lived in a way that, praise God, has changed everyone's existence if they place their faith in him, if they come to know him as Lord. Do you know him as Lord? He's beckoning you to place your faith in him today. And, and if you do, then here's the response. What move do you need? What move is God asking you to make? He made the initial move. He swept in and saved you from your sin. And I guarantee you he's moved since. What move is he asking you to take today? Respond in faith. Move knowing that he himself moved. I believe God has something amazing in store for your life. The question is, Will you move in faith to meet him yourself? Let me pray for us. God, we love you. In the person of Jesus, God, we see just how deep the Father's love is for us. That when none of us, God, could do anything to restore ourselves to right relationship, to overcome the consequence of our sin, to save ourselves from our Damnation, God, you sent one that could. That for any that would place their faith in Jesus, that would trust you are the Lord God, they might be saved as quick as that. If you're here today and you've not placed your faith in Jesus, the invitation is on the table. The invitation's always on the table for you. God moved from heaven to earth to get to you. And he wants you to move today that you might go from heaven to earth or from earth to heaven to be where he himself is. Jesus Christ, he lived the life you could not. He was perfect. He died the death you deserved, absorbing the consequence of your sin. And then he burst forth from the grave, declaring to all who would see, 
I am the Son of God, and I'm saving a people to myself. God, others of us here, we need to respond by taking that step, whatever that step is, Lord. And we want to do it, God. Sure, there may be some fear, some trepidation, some some reluctance in us, God. Please, would you, by your Spirit, release us from that, that, God, we would not just have minds to think about you, but lives to testify to your goodness, not just eyes to see you, Jesus, but feet to follow after you. That as we lean into all of the faith that you have so compelled, we would see things, experience, God, your goodness in a way that we've never before experienced. We want more of you, God. Church, how much of yourself will you give him today? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.